Hello, everyone. I'm Deborah Rue, and I have Antonio Santos with us. Neil Milliken decided to move again. He always moves during the holidays. No, uh, Neil is moving today. And we are so pleased um, to have Jenny McLaughlin joining us today. She's the project manager of infrastructure for Heathrow Airport, and she also is the head of their ERG group. And I just want to say that when I realized that Heathrow has an employee resource group for people with disabilities, that made me very, very, very happy. Uh, Heathrow, as we all probably know, is one of the busiest airports in the world. And uh, there is, I, I think that we probably can't even imagine how much traffic goes through that. So knowing that Jenny is there watching out for all of us, making sure any passenger can succeed successfully, you know, make a connection and be successful in Heathrow Airport, I think it's really great. So, Jenny, welcome to the program. Do you mind just telling us a little bit about who you are and how you got into this field? Uh, yeah, um, so I uh, have worked in aviation for coming up to almost 19 years now. Um, I started at East Midlands Airport, um, which is kind of in the middle of the country. Uh, and uh, I was there as an environment and safeguarding uh, officer um, and I moved down to Heathrow uh, 14 years ago and started again in the environment team and then uh, worked a bit in um, the airside department and finally now in infrastructure. And what I found going through all the different areas and working in the different parts of uh, the company is that um, it's just like a very big city. Um, there is every sort of person, every sort of job, every sort of role you could imagine. Um, and then about sort of, I guess, almost three years ago now, my son was diagnosed with um, ADHD um, and it really stopped me and made me reflect on how I wanted the world to be different for him, how I wanted for him to not feel that he needed to be something he wasn't or feel that he didn't fit um, because of his disability. And it was really important to me to see what I could do to be the change for him. Now, education system, that's too big a thing to challenge. What I could work on was the work environment and in my own work environment. So at that point, um, uh, I started to just um, upskill myself, research, look into what, what, what all of the big scape of world in terms of what inclusive, uh, inclusive design is, in terms of what support is out there, all the different amazing charities, ventures, everything that's, that's going and, and just keep educating myself. On, on, on what I didn't know, what, 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 um, yeah, what I was um, unconsciously uh, incompetent about. And the more I learned about it, the more passionate I became in this field. And one of the first things we did at Heathrow um, was to join with the ADHD Foundation and put on the Umbrella Project. So the Umbrella Project is a project that looks to shine a light on um, and celebrate neurodiversity uh, as a whole and um, uh, uh, throughout the year different companies different um, uh, organizations put in put up a number of umbrellas just to celebrate this um, and up until when Heathrow joined in 2019 there had been no umbrella projects in the south they were all up um, all up um, near and around Liverpool where, where the ADHD Foundation are based so I uh, uh, talked to um, Ben Jones, uh, who who is the um, uh, one of the um, 
project management offices uh, uh, people at the time. I said, do you want to do something completely ridiculous? And he said, absolutely, let's do it. Um, and so we put on the umbrella, uh, the umbrella project, 300 beautiful, colourful umbrellas in the T5 forecourt. And that, that was when I really kind of decided that that was what I was wanted to do. I wanted to uh, make sure that everybody travelling through, working for, visiting Heathrow felt they belonged there. Uh, and that's when I, I decided to uh, uh, um, go for uh, and um, I was successful in being recruited as the lead uh, for the uh, disability network at that point. I was trying to get off mute, but wow, what a powerful story because what we do to make sure that our loved ones are included it's fascinating. Sometimes we'll do more to include our loved ones than we will do for ourselves. And we know that, um, and that's what makes our community so powerful too. I have ADHD and was diagnosed much later in life. And um, Neil has ADHD and dyslexia. And so I think ADHD is a superpower, but at the same time, it can be very, very hard on your mental health because it's great. You know, what 65% of entrepreneurs have ADHD or dyslexia, 65% of us. And so it's, you know, there are a lot of leaders changing the world with neurodiversity, but I love that you were determined to make sure everybody was included. It was a beautiful story about the umbrellas. I, I wish I could see the pictures when you send Antonio pictures, I would love for you to make sure you send that one. That must have been a beautiful display. And what a simple way of just making people feel like you matter and we care about you and you're included. And, and I don't often feel, Jenny, that places like I love the comment that you made about Heathrow being a smart city, because I think what a lot of us sometimes forget how gigantic it is. Let's see. Uh, I guess y'all don't have schools, but you probably do. You got training. You you have to have hospital. You have yeah. It's just amazing how big it is, and every single piece of it has to be fully accessible to everyone: the customers, the employees. And that's just fascinating. How, how do you even, Ginny, start to wrap your hands around a project that is just as gigantic as this? I mean, it's huge. What you have to consider. I think. Yeah. So I think, um, uh, I, I, and, I, and I will, I have, I was diagnosed with ADHD late in life because my son was diagnosed. I also have dyslexia, but I knew about the dyslexia from, from, from primary school and absolutely with you. There is, there is something within the creativity, within the determination, because you are constantly feeling like you're failing or you're not quite enough. It just gives you that drive to just do things that other people would think would be impossible. Um, and I think that's what that's why I don't see it as a challenge. Well, I do see it as a challenge. That's wrong. I don't see it as an insurmountable challenge to be able to change everything we need to change in Heathrow. And I think whenever I get to a problem like this, I always take it back to the smallest parts. So I always look at, well, it looks very big and very scary. How do I simplify it? Where, where are the building blocks that create it? What are the, what are the levers or, or areas that I need to really uh, uh, speak to in order that we can make these small incremental changes, which leads to the big change? And so for me, what I started with was um, working with the team, looking at our standards. 
So we have a number of standards across um, Heathrow, which is how we, when we do our infrastructure work, or whatever we we the contractors and the designers they 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 look at the standards and they understand kind of where we're going. And so um, my partner in crime, Sarah Marchant, who looks after the people with. Um, um, we we call them people with uh, extra needs now rather than people with reduced uh, mobility because as we all know passengers that are going through it's not just about reduced mobility it's about so many other things that they need support with when they travel through our airport and um, and Richard Dunn from the engineering team and um, we worked with a number of companies Jacobs and CCD which is now Mimosa and completely rewrote um, the standard uh, around um, accessible design um, it's over 300 pages long it goes into absolutely everything in terms of considering all needs so accessibility is not just about disability it's about all of our identity and characteristics and making sure each one of them is considered when we make design um, decisions at Heathrow and so that was the biggest piece of work we needed to do but then what I needed to do was be able to not just leave that standard sitting there on the shelf so to speak which is quite often what happens with standards but bring it to life for each of the parties that are making those critical decisions um, around Heathrow so talking to our procurement team so they could understand that then when when they were contracting with services when they were contracting with our contractors that it was more than just about meeting the standard it was exceeding the standard it was understanding the value and the vision we have for actually becoming the most accessible airport in the world and combining and collaborating with us to deliver that it's not just about a tick box exercise of I've achieved that that's we've hit minimum we're, we're good enough no we don't want to be good enough we want to be um, pushing the boundaries so that others come with us and because what I feel very much around Heathrow is that with in Spider-Man's words, with great power becomes great responsibility. And Heathrow as a brand has amazing ability to change the narrative for so many others. We have the capacity to do things that others don't have. And if we can make that change and then provide that information to others so they can make the changes, how much more powerful is that? And I think by each of us um, you know, and I think this is where, you know, where, where the valuable 500 comes in, you know, we, or, or the billion strong that you have, you know, each of us do our own small parts all together. Collectively, we make the change because quite often my boss will say to me, well, Jenny, you are stood on top of the Titanic, aren't you? And you're attempting to get it to shift. And I'm like, yeah, but if I get a number of people stood up on here with me and we all push the same direction, we will miss that iceberg. And that iceberg is really it is it is the it's the UN, um, you know, sustainable development goals. It is not leaving a single person behind. We cannot we cannot live in a world where we are only meeting the needs of um, the majority because actually we're not even meeting the needs of the majority because we don't consider their difference I love um I, I love uh, listening to um, Ellie Chapel and flip the narrative and um, because she really does take me back to my why why am I so passionate about this why am I doing it and for her you know diversity is just a fact diversity is is a word we use when we want to say something's going to be difficult when actually what we need to do is stop using the word diversity and go human. We are all human. Humans are all different. That's a fact. 
the fact that we have got into a mind space whereby we only decide to design in a way that excludes people rather than saying that's not a possibility anymore. We can't do that anymore. We can't say you can't play. We have to innovate to ensure that everybody is included because that principle we had whereby we said it isn't possible, that's become a, a, a repeated fact. It's become um, just what we do instead of actually challenging that and saying it's not a fact it's actually a decision. And am I comfortable making a decision that excludes someone? Can I actually be okay with that? And if you can't be okay, and if that does hit against your values, don't use the fact that it's always been done that way to make yourself feel better. Actually accept the uncomfortableness and push yourself to innovate to ensure that everybody is included. Wow. Can we please make you uh, interested in being president of the United States? Wow. (laughs) Wow. And you know what? I, Antonio had a question a while back and I, I, di- I didn't realize and didn't hand over the microphone, but I just want to say that I, I'm totally in love with you now. Sorry, Jenny, but because this is the only way forward and, and you're so logical. I, I'm just so glad. And, and thank you for mentioning Billion Strong and the Valuable 500, because you're right. This is all of us, all of us. I, as an American, have to want you to be wildly successful at Heathrow, because once again, you're impacting all of us because, you know, of the, I can't even imagine how many people come to the airport. Um, well, and, but let me be, let me turn it over to Antonio. Antonio. Well, Danny, in order to to succeed here, I'm sure you had to uh, get in touch with a lot of people, you know, from the leadership team at ITRO to partners, suppliers, you know, many entities. Uh, what reactions did you get from them? And what do you feel it was somehow the secret to succeed? Um, normally, my reaction is, what do you want now? <laughs> What, what trouble are you going to get me into? Um, so I, I think most of the conversations that I have had are all wildly positive because when you put it in terms that they can no longer say no, when you've really hooked into that value that they have, that, that moral compass that's inside them, it's very difficult for them to go, that's too difficult, Jenny. Because actually they, I don't think any of the senior leadership team in Heathrow ever wants anybody to feel that they're not valued, that they don't belong. That And, 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 and for those even that I have to push a little bit further and, and, and get them to, to see this in a light that, that does truly chime with them, I go back to safety every single time. Because fundamentally where we are now with safety is where we need to be with accessibility. And so linking the two things together quite often is incredibly powerful. And how I will do that is to completely talk about that actually accessibility and safety, when you link the two together, and this is where I started, you know, sort of a year, year and a half ago, was the CDM 2015 regulations. So we have in the UK a, a, a construction design management regulations that requires when we design something to be built, we have to ensure that it's designed safely. So it is safe to build it, it's safe to maintain it, and it's safe to operate it. Problem is that the assumptions we make in doing that design are based on 
a white middle class, fully able individual who is not going to have any trouble doing the work we've done. The workforce that we currently have are all, the majority of them are over 50. The majority of them will probably have some sort of disability and that disability is probably caused by working in the construction industry because we haven't actually designed safely because we've not actually designed what they're capable of doing. So when you take it back to fundamentals, we have a regulation that we don't apply appropriately. If we take it back, or if we move it forward and say, actually, we want to design so that a disabled person can be in the construction industry, how would we design it differently? How would we apply those regulations so actually we can, in, we, can, we can design it so it can be safely built by a range of individuals with a range of different capabilities? Then talk about, right, so we're now looking at how do we design it safely? You've now improved the well-being and the ability and the less likelihood that somebody will leave the construction industry with a disability because you've designed it appropriately first time. So for me, and this is what I talk to all of the groups that I talk to, so from everybody from Fergus Hardens and the Deputy Director of Construction within the UK government, talking to our infrastructure client groups, we need to understand that we currently do it wrong. Once we've accepted that, once we've entered the support group and put our hand up and say, I've done it wrong, client groups are doing it wrong, designers are doing it wrong, we're not designing for our current workforce and we should be designing for a workforce that we want to employ, which includes disabled people. Um, we can start to move and innovate into a world. And, and quite often the, the analogy I'll use is the weakest link. So within um, universal design, you talk about the weakest link. Now for, for me, the weakest link um, is the one that protects the system. So if you design, for example, um, uh, for something to be built and consider that everybody on site has asthma, everybody on site has asthma, how would you design it differently to ensure no dust was created so that those people with asthma can work on the site. Now you've done that and you've designed it differently. Now nobody will have long-term or, or get long-term health conditions because we've designed something that fundamentally, so you could apply that to any of the different disabilities. So this for me is really where I'm trying to get into all of the um, external uh, organisations, um, into the likes of our um, ICE, which is our Institute for Civil Engineers. I've done talks to um, ECITB, which is our Engineering Construction Industry Training Board, to get them to see how currently, unintentionally, they're causing harm. And if they apply the uh, universal design, the inclusive design principles to how we decide and design things to be built, we will protect people better and we will be able to recruit an amazing workforce um, that will be able to design it so people who have disabilities are included from the outset. So let, let's say um, someone is travelling to, um, to ITRO, they have a great experience when they go in, but they have a poor experience when they land somewhere around the world. So uh, how can you also influence the uh, organizations that work in the industry at the international level 
how can you, let's say, how can you make your project or your idea somehow open source, not so if it's, if it's the right term here, that everyone else can use them in order to improve the, the services? Because after all, that's what we want, right? Absolutely. So um, one of the things we've done, I'll, I'll give you an example of something we've done recently. So Sarah has been um, uh, working with um, the University of Portsmouth, uh, no, not Portsmouth, University of, begins with a P, I'll remember it later, um, who have um, a, a group uh, who are looking at dementia and supporting dementia. And they've uh, they've created, and Deborah, I will share this with you. When I'll find the link, um, they um, uh, they've created a, a package of how to support individuals with dementia to fly. Um, and we actually uh, sort of launched this at Heathrow a couple of weeks uh, on the first of December as part of our, our disability um, uh, disability month at Heathrow, and. What John Holland Kay, who's our CEO of Heathrow, has committed to do um, is to take that document and free issue it to um, ICAO so that it can be shared with all airports around the world so they can all see the work that has been done in conjunction with the university and actually increase the ability of all airports to be more dementia friendly um, in their approach. So that's what we can do and that's what we aim to do. the other part of the journey is obviously the airline in the middle mm-hmm. um, and we are working with our airlines. So our major airlines in, in, in particular, um, so the likes of British Airways, we have a very close working relationship with Virgin, uh, um, uh, British Airways and with Virgin to support that actually the full end-to-end journey um, is accessible. And then to go on top of that, um, we obviously need to get to the airport from the airport um, so we're also working with our local partners um, within the transport and um, so um, transport for london for example i've been working very closely um with an individual there michael who um is their diversity impact a- assessor um, and looking at how can we ensure that um you know uh, the, the the curbside and and the roads that you enter into um heathrow are accessible um how do we make sure that it, small things like we uh, we upskill uh, our forecourt managers to be able to observe and identify um, impacts to disability. So something that um, an able-bodied person wouldn't even consider as being an unsafe thing, like a trolley in the wrong place, actually somebody with a visual impairment, that would be a major um, obstacle for them. So getting them upskilled so they can understand where are the, the, the things that they may not perceive before they learn, but once they've learned, they perceive all the time. Um, so all of these things, we, we, we are absolutely looking at the full journey uh, and, and influencing everywhere we can to improve. Well, it's it, I'm so impressed with what you are doing. And I love that your CEO is making sure that the work you are doing is passed to other reports so that society and humans can benefit. That, that's just so that's very impressive. That's very impressive, everything you're doing. And I love how you're looking at it from all the different moving parts. Um, sadly, my brother-in-law was a pilot, a commercial pilot, and he um, has he passed away a couple of weeks ago. But one thing he said to me one time, but now he worked for American Airlines, and he was the pilot that would transport the, the um, passengers. But 
he said to me one time, yeah, I hear what you're saying, Deborah, and I agree everybody should be included. But he said there have been times when um, we'll be delayed or something and there'll be like 30 passengers waiting to board that are in wheelchairs. And he said, I remember one time there was some kind of delay. So we told the passengers that um, I apologize, but the passengers in wheelchairs will be loaded last because of whatever was happening. And he's like, and all these people stood up, Deborah. And I thought, and I said to him, I understand it, it looks like they're just fake, but the reality is my husband and my daughter right now, they can't walk all the way through the airport to, they, they do need the assistance. Now they can still transfer, but it's like people not understanding and thinking that people with disabilities are faking it so they can get on board faster. It's just, there's so many, many different moving parts that y'all have to consider. And I just wanted to bring up that confusing thing because I'm sure that's what people think, you know, it's like, wait a minute. Oh, <laughs> they're just faking it. Yeah. I think, I think, so it was something, um, we uh, again another another great piece of work that um, Sarah has done is um, is the Open to All report, which is which um, which again I can share the link with you um, because it was the biggest survey of passengers requirements coming through an airport that's ever been done in the world. And what we needed to understand, what we have understand understood now, is that actually. Um, the majority of people don't need assistance because of mobility. However, the only way they get assistance was to be put in a wheelchair. So as soon as you said you needed to be assisted, you we put, put you in a wheelchair. What? So whether what? they wanted to or not, it, that's what happened. We've actually, and this is part of the reason why we are progressing and we're moving forward, and it will be little increments and we'll never, we, we aren't perfect. There is absolutely a way we're not perfect right now. We've got a long way to go in, in, in changing the dial in a number of areas. We've got some old infrastructure that, you know, we, is, is difficult to change. Um, but what we've decided is actually what we came out of the Open to All report is the flexibility the ability to choose and that's what we need to provide people we need to provide people who actually want to to transit through the airport on their own cognizance they want to go through the airport and what we need to do is move all the barriers out of the way for them to doing that on their own so they don't need the assistance because we've already made it inclusive all the way through we've already made it accessible all the way through so they don't need to end up um, in our in our assistance and and that can be everything from um, digital technology, you know, looking at the innovation out there, is there way, ways and means that we can provide individuals um, who have an anxiety for various reasons of coming through the airport, can we give them a digital tour of what they're going to go through so they can experience it beforehand? Can we um, provide wayfinding in a way that doesn't mean we have 900 signs up, which, you know, even for me that's worked there for a longer review, I still get lost. You know, I still get, I'm still looking at the signs going, I don't know which way you're asking me to go. <laughs> Can we remove some of that clutter in our visual uh, and overwhelm and, and create it much more, you know, in, in a different way? And I do realise not everybody has access to digital technology, so we need it. We need a hybrid of the two. But there's so many other things we can do there to remove this requirement that if you have an accessibility need, you end up in a wheelchair and therefore taking away this um, 
in this this uh, uh, confusion, which which can be met with um, uh, uh, maybe the, not the kindest response that oh well, they could have walked onto the on, onto the um, onto Perfect. the uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 I, I'm just so impressed with your work. And I know we've kept you on longer, but I definitely could talk to you for for days and days and days. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jenny, first of all. And I want to definitely thank our amazing sponsors and supporters, um, Barclays Access, MyClearText, and MicroLink. Um, but um, I know that Antonio has another question, and I also want to make sure, Jenny, that we give you the opportunity to tell people how they can learn about the work, the URLs and stuff like that. But let me turn it over to Antonio first. So then what, what I would like to know, so you, you are doing all this work with your passengers, but you're also doing uh, uh, work with your employee network, right? So how do you, how, you know, looking to the work that you are doing with customers, with, with passengers, uh, how this ends up reflecting within your workforce? So, so the interesting thing is, is how much it overlaps. And I think um, uh, if we've created an accessible place for uh, our, our customers, we've also started the journey um, to create a much more accessible place for our colleagues as well. And, and it's not just those directly employed by Heathrow. We have so many partners and other suppliers that work in and around the airport from our ground handlers, obviously our airline, our pilots, um, you know, the, the the people who fuel the planes, you know, everybody, you know, the people in the restaurants and the shops, all of these people. So if we created accessible spaces, uh, we need to we think also about our colleague offering as well as as well as for the passengers. And what I think uh, are the big things that um, I guess differentiate the two, but have similarities or mirrors, um, is around ensuring, um, first of all, that the environment is is fit for purpose. So, what can we do to change the um, infrastructure or the technology to ensure that it's accessible? And and I know you guys are all experts in, is particularly within the digital spaces, and we get it probably more right for passengers than we do for colleagues. Sometimes we forget that actually when you create an interface, you need to ensure it's accessible because you're preventing us employing or for somebody with a disability thriving, if you've not thought of that, we're getting far far much better. I now sit on um, the Heathrow Investment Committee. So all projects, all big projects that come through, um, I get to question them. So I get to ask difficult questions like, have you considered the interface? Is it going to be accessible? Have you met the, the standards and hopefully exceeded them? Have you have you used a, you know, what user group did you use to test it? Did you have these kind of individuals within the user group, etc.? People have got very used to me asking difficult questions. So they tend to now try and answer them before they come in. Um, and this is only the first year of doing this. And then what I've done on the back of that is just to start to create some tools because it's very unfair to sit there and ask the difficult questions and not provide the support. Um, so we've we have a we have a, a process, a gateway life cycle that you go through. We've we've indicated where through that life cycle you should be, um, you know, obviously at the start, very, very beginning. Yeah. Uh, including it and how you would do that and, and, and all of those kind of great things we've um, cre- we're creating at the moment hopefully we're going to pilot next year um, is a procurement tool so we can when we are when we're buying our assets we can make sure that they are accessible to everybody when we're buying our services the same thing that the service provider has considered all requirements all needs not just your 
mythical average per normal person that doesn't exist um yeah. uh, uh you know all of these things um we're we're then applying that um to uh you know obviously the, the usual process that ergs get involved in your, your reasonable adjustments your passport you know all of those kind of great things as well awareness raising sessions making sure we've got training in at the right part with the learning with our line managers etc all of these things are going on in the background but for me it's the environment that has such a big role to play um and one of the things that i've been working with the absolutely amazing um professor amanda kirby on is looking at the um world health organization's um uh, international classification of uh functioning disabilities so how do we create a matrix that could look at the environment the task and the individual and help us to be able to understand where where are where are the possibilities of adjustments what you know within within that spectrum and where are the really hard difficult places so that we know where um, an individual will thrive and where an individual will struggle based on those three elements so that we don't end up in a position whereby um, as we know, most people acquire their disabilities. We don't end up in a position where people are, are, are feeling um, challenged or in a difficult space because they've acquired something. Actually, what we can do is say, well, this is the work and, and the task. This is what your requirements are. This isn't quite all fitting together. But over here, work and task and you fit better. So how do we transition you from here to there? You know, because sometimes, you know, if you... If you're if you're um, uh, uh, within you know our um, security space, there are certain tasks that aren't going to change, you know, or aren't aren't going to be able to be made fully accessible, and we all know that. You know, I, I wouldn't expect somebody to be within our operational field um, and have certain disabilities, but that's not to say there isn't somewhere within our organisation or somewhere within Team Heathrow that absolutely you would thrive. And how do you transition you from one space to another? That's my next big white whale goal. <laughs> to, 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 to conclude, Jen, you, you mentioned that you were, you know, that um, you were diagnosed just, you know, late in life. How do you see your example as someone that for, for other employees at ITRO that they feel comfortable in raising and talking about their needs within their groups and with, with, with the people that manage them? Um, so uh, as part of the disability um, uh, month, uh, I was asked to do a, a very quick um, update on our um, uh, CEO, John Holland Kay's uh, call. He does a monthly call. And I talked about my story. So I talked about the fact that I, at one point in my life, um, when I was trying to fit in, when I was trying to be what I thought everybody else wanted to be in order that I could progress and be, you know, um, be valued, I made myself very sick. I Mentally and physically, I was rock bottom. And, and I talked about this openly on the call um, and said, the point where I realised, part of I was diagnosed and I realised that, you know, uh, I have challenges. I'm not perfect. And actually, that's OK. It's more than OK. It's what makes me me. And as one, as soon as I was comfortable with that and as soon as I, you know, that I, I made that my own. My world changed completely. And what I've said to the to everybody who works within um, Heathrow is if there's something um, 
that you currently feel you're being required to do to fit in. You need to highlight that to your line manager, to to the group, to the hand group, to our disability group, um, because that's not okay. You don't need to change to fit the system. The system, the work environment needs to change so that you feel that you can succeed. And as I said, it's not always possible maybe to be in the same role. That's not to say there isn't another role for you, but that you would be absolutely amazing in. Right. And that, that's part of being alive. I mean, part of being human is we always are shifting and changing. So, so Ginny, where would, um, is there a place where people can go to learn about what's happening in Heathrow? Do you have it on your website? I mean, tell the audience how they can learn even more about what you're doing. Also compliments, compliments, compliments. Um, so the, uh, so yes, if, if you go to the Heathrow, um, uh, airport and you uh, uh, you look at um, uh, learn more about us and there is information there around our accessibility and all of those things that I've mentioned um, most of the stuff that I we do I post on LinkedIn so if you find me on LinkedIn follow me um, I post most of the items that we're talking about or or areas that we're working on there um, and then within the group, so um, if you uh, belong to um, any of the, uh, the client groups or um, uh, those, if you if you go to their uh, sites, again, I've been um, sharing the information with them and then they publish it. So there are a number of ways that you can you can you can follow and, and, uh, uh, and find out more. Um, and I will continue to do that as we as we go through. Thank you so much for everything. This is this is truly changing the world. So bravo, bravo. So, all right, we will let you go, but thank you so much for being on today. And maybe you'll come back on in, um, later in 2022 and give us an update. I'm very interested of some of the, um, the things that you are doing. So we definitely would love to get an update. But thank you. Once again, thanks for our supporters. Good luck, Neil. We hope you don't hurt your back moving. Uh, and uh, we will talk to everyone later.